Are you ready for a new journey this fall? Join Dr. Patricia Cooney Hathaway, Professor of Spirituality and Systematic Theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary, as she leads an inspiring online course called An Introduction to Spirituality. In this college-level course, dive into the depths of the Christian spiritual life, discover how spirituality goes beyond religious practices, and how it shapes how we live our faith every day. Dr. Cooney Hathaway will guide you to understand God's presence in your life and equip you with tools to deepen your relationship with God. Visit shms.edu slash online to learn more or enroll today. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Our top story today, the General Secretary of the Synod on Tuesday presented the Instrumentum Laboris. This is after an unprecedented survey of Catholics all around the world. And a two-year consultation process. Married priests, an increased role for women, and the inclusion of members of the LGBTQ plus community. It's all set to be debated by bishops in a potentially groundbreaking meeting later this year. The Synod on Synodality's next big meeting is this October, and earlier this week, the Vatican released the working document that will guide their global conversation. Jerry and I will lay out what you need to know. I'm Colleen Deli, and this is Inside the Vatican. Morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a steamy hot room, Colleen. I relate. I just got back from walking my son to daycare and I'm all sweaty. <laughs> 99 degrees Fahrenheit here. And tomorrow promises to be even warmer. And no rest in Rome right now, right? Y'all are really busy. Well, the Pope is meant to be resting, but he's having a lot of audiences. Yesterday, he had the president of Cuba, and he had 40 minutes with him, which is very long time, given that they're both speaking in Spanish. And apparently, the meeting went very well. Mm-hmm. We don't know the contents of it, but that's what I've heard. That's good to hear. And today, as we talk, he's sitting down with the president of Brazil, Lula. And then yesterday, we had the presentation of the Synod document. That's right. The Vatican released this working document for the Synod on Synodality on Tuesday, June 20th. Just to recap, the Synod on Synodality is this global process. It's been going on since 2021, and it started with local listening sessions in every diocese, sometimes every church, and then those responses were synthesized by each bishop's conference, so for us, the USCCB in the U.S., For the last few months, there have been continental assemblies that put together reports on what happened in each continent. And what came out this week is the document that will guide the preparation for the global church phase. So that's the two meetings that will take place in Rome in October 2023 and 2024. And the goal of this whole thing is to listen to the church, that is, all of the church, the people of God, and discern how we can all work together better across all levels of the church to accomplish the church's mission of evangelizing. So, Jerry, what is this working document, and how is it different from the working documents we've seen for past synods? Well, Colleen, as you know, I've covered synods since 1985. Yeah, if I'm not wrong, that was your very first assignment, right? That was my very first assignment. (laughs) And I can assure you that this is a synod like none other. That seems evident from the document here. Tell me about that. Well, in the past, there was some kind of consultation in the local churches, but it was pretty minimal. Usually the bishops would get together and with some consultants and maybe maybe sometimes they'd involve the clergy. 
and they they were given a, a guideline document and they would respond to questions on that and then the Vatican would draft a working document for the Synod. Now this working document was usually the basis, the draft, the first draft of what would the final document be. People would take the working document and then they would make comments on it. The bishops, when they came to the synod, they would comment and they'd say, on point two, I want to say this. On point 10, I want to say this. And so they would amend or adjust or add to this basic text. This time, however, that is not the process. This is a document which will kind of disappear. It, it is a document with many, many questions. And these questions will be dealt by the synod participants, about 370 of them, including around 45 or 50 women for the first time with voting rights. So these questions that the document lays out are meant to guide both their reflection before the meeting and then also uh, the discussion in the meeting. So Jerry, what does this document and maybe the press conference that you attended yesterday, what do they reveal to us about what we can expect in that October meeting and then maybe in the inter-meeting session? Well, several things. First of all, it revealed that there is no prepared text Mm -hmm. on which they had to work. There are questions. But they are still producing a document, is that right? They will, at the end, produce recommendations to the Pope. At the end of the two meetings. At the end of the two sessions. I asked yesterday in the press conference, I said, well, what do we expect at the end of the first session, which is October 4 to 29 of this year? They said, well, we have to see. They couldn't predict what will, but they will have carried, they will have in the small groups studied these questions and they'll have had a feedback to the plenary. Then the second thing they said, unlike any previous synod, this will not be held in the Hall of the Synod of Bishops. In the Vatican, you know what the audience hall is calling, you know very well. Above it, or under it, there is the Synod of Bishops Hall. Instead, this meeting will be held in the audience hall. They will remove the chairs, they will put in tables, round tables, I understand, and 10 or 12 will sit around this table. Why? And this document explains, they're following a different methodology to the past. Yeah, I feel like we should we should paint the picture for our listeners if they're not familiar with these spaces from maybe photos they've seen in the news. Uh, the reason this is significant is that in the audience hall, you can have these chairs grouped in circles. You can move the chairs around as you'd like. Whereas in the synod hall, it's more of an auditorium. There, everyone sits in rows of chairs facing one kind of main stage. And so the, the reconfiguring of the room really gives us a sense of this is not going to be a meeting like other synods. Yes, this is, uh, I mean, the the visual image, the optics of this synod immediately tell you it's different from the past. Let's talk about what this document tells us about uh, the way that these conversations will happen, because it it lays that out pretty explicitly. Father Costa, who is an advisor to the Secretary General, he's a Jesuit, Italian Jesuit, and he's been a big architect in behind the scenes on this. He explained that that there was such a thing as what they call conversation in the spirit. Cardinal, the Maltese Cardinal, Secretary General said, this is one of the discoveries. We didn't set out with this idea as being our methodology, but it emerged in different places and we realized it's a very good thing. Outline for me what this is. 
The conversation in the spirit basically means you start with prayer. The participants are asked to do prayerful reflection before they come to the meeting. At the meeting, there will be a reading, a prayerful reflection. And so instead of people coming in and spouting out whatever comes into their mind, they will be expected to reflect on what is happening, to pray about it. Yeah. And as far as the discussion goes, uh, so there's all this prayer built in. There's also, you start out, you go around the group and you have everyone kind of offer the fruit of their prayer on whatever question is being discussed. And then you have some silence to reflect on what everyone has said. And then you go around again and you give people a chance to respond to what they've heard. And that's not an argument. It's not, you know, let me let me fight you on X point or whatever. It's it's, you know, listening to everyone in charity and then trying to discern together what what has come of that. Um, so it's really interesting. And Jerry, I don't know if you've been in like groups that have done this before. I happened to be in one around the beginning of the pandemic as part of like a youth ministry meeting that I was in. And it was really, really moving how things were able to come up in the group conversations. So I I've experienced that this is a really transformative thing. Well, you know, this is going to a deeper level than you would have in a parliamentary debate. Absolutely. What you're going is to what the person feels deeply in the heart. When they pray about it, do they think the same as they thought before? And they're sharing this. Now, this has been used quite well in the Australian Provincial Council. Mm. And that was a case where people came into that meeting with some very different ideas and there were some very real tensions. Yes, and there was a certain point on the question of the role of women in the church that the meeting almost split. And then the bishops carefully, they got together with others and they planned and they went through this prayerful process and they came out with a very positive result. Mm-hmm. It really comes out in this document, this working document for the meeting, that this method of conversation in the spirit is the way that has emerged in the synodal meetings so far that they really see as being the way forward. Because in the section on uh, ongoing decision making, it suggested that this is the way that maybe bishops can start to have synodal conversations with people in their dioceses. Maybe it's a way that we can start to make decisions in the church. Absolutely, Colleen. You've you've hit the nail on the head because this synod on synodality, what it's trying to bring about is a whole new way of being church. I want to talk about one last procedural thing here, which is this time between the two meetings. Uh, It was mentioned in the document that in between October 2023 and October 2024, there will be some theological and canonical discussion of what has emerged and what can possibly change. Uh, And as I was reading through the document, it looked like most of the places where it mentioned, are there possibilities for a change in canon law, uh, were around issues of authority. I found that really interesting and possibly opening a big can of worms. Well, Yes, I think this this is a very radical synod. Let's be very honest about it. Yeah, that seems very safe to say. People may want to go down certain roads on some issues. Now, what those issues might be, we have to wait and see. If they decide that they want to have women deacons, 
Well, then how, how is that established in the church? Or if they decide they want to have another new ministry that is not envisaged yet, it may be how, what responsibility you give to people in the local parish. It may be what, how you change maybe the bishop's way of ministry. It may require changes in law. It may require changes in theology or reflection on theology or a new way of looking at it. So what's going to happen is this one year between the two synods from the 31st, from the 30th of October, 2023 to the beginning of October, 2024, the participants at the synod will be able to go back and talk in their own diocese, in their own parish, in their bishop's conferences, in their religious orders, and say, these issues came up. What do you think about it? So they'll be able to discuss, reflect, and they may will also be able to come back with, we may need some solutions. So this in-between sessions, uh, reflection on the theology and also on the canon law is basically meant to take some of those tough questions that come out of the Synod that would require further reflection and allow that to happen so that maybe they can be cleared up a little bit more or have a clearer way forward for the following meeting. Is that fair to say? Yes, I, I think that that is fair because, you know, people may discuss and come up with some proposals. And my understanding is that the participants, the 370 or so participants, most of them will participate in the two synods. Got it. That's interesting. So it'll be kind of a re-meeting of the same group. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And after we come back, we'll talk about the topics that emerged in this document and what stood out to us. Stay with us. If you like listening to me and Jerry unpack the latest Vatican news every week, then you're going to love America Magazine. And there has never been a better time to become a subscriber. For only $1 for your first month, you'll get unlimited access to my and Jerry's writing, as well as everything else America offers. That's Catholic news and analysis, daily scripture reflections that are only for subscribers, the Catholic book club, the Catholic movie club, and more. To get this special offer, you just need to visit americamagazine.org slash ITV, that's ITV for Inside the Vatican, to get your first month subscription for only $1. That's americamagazine.org slash ITV. So for the second part of our show, we're going to take a look inside of this document and particularly at the worksheets section, which is the part that has all these questions for reflection. Now, this is a really wide ranging document and we cannot possibly get into every single topic in it. But Jerry, I thought we could go back and forth and give some of our takeaways, things that stood out to us that we thought our listeners needed to know about this. Um, so do you want to start us off with maybe your biggest takeaway? I think it's very important that our listeners understand there are three priorities for this synod. And this has been identified throughout the world. They said, first of all, communion. Secondly, participation. And thirdly, mission. Everything is geared to mission. What does mission mean? It means proclaiming the gospel, living the gospel, making the gospel known, uh, helping others to understand what the gospel is. So that's mission. That's the church's reason for being is to communicate the gospel message to the world. 
communion. What does communion mean? Communion means how you're living your church life at the local level, in the parish, in the diocese, in a country. How, how you're living. So is everybody in your parish, in your diocese being involved? Are you reaching out to them? What is the liturgy like? How has that to be changed? If, if you look at the questions, Colleen, on the, the big questions on the communion, one of them says, how does the service of charity and commitment to justice and care for our common home nourish communion in a synodal church? Uh, you know, are people active in the charity field? Are they active in the justice field? Are they working for the care in the local parish? Mm -hmm. And I think as people are listening to this, they'll realize that there are through lines with every other synod we've had under Francis on care for the common home, on the family, for example. These all get incorporated into the considerations for this synod. So it really is building on it. Also in this communion section, I was really struck by how strongly ecumenism, the relationships between Christian churches came out. That is a question of communion of churches uh, rather than just the local church, but they raise a lot of really interesting questions about, you know, can we have Catholics and Orthodox in local areas be working better together? Can we have better cooperation maybe amongst the Eastern churches and then between the East and uh, West? And it seems to really view, one, synodality as going hand in hand with ecumenism, and two, seeing synodality as something that the Eastern churches do really well and that the Western churches can learn from. So it also looks ahead to the, the Jubilee year in 2025 when we're going to have Easter on the same date. There's all of this opportunity and energy in this document around church unity among the Catholic and Orthodox, which I thought was really, really hopeful and not something that I expected to jump out that much in this. Absolutely, Colin. I think you've put your finger on one of the big issues here, that a synodal church is a church that's trying to build good relations with the other Christian churches and also with the other religions. All right, so that's a bit about what's in the communion section. Let's talk next about the mission section, which is really what this whole thing is aimed towards, is the church's mission. Yes, because you know people bring their children, like you did, to be baptized. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, what's the future of that child? Grows up, gets communion, confirmation, and then what? what? What involvement does the child have in the church? Does the child feel that he or she, and he in your case, uh, William Oliver, that he has responsibility to somehow make Christ known? It's as simple as that. And so mission is all about that. And it's, it's speaking about a word that was common in the Second Vatican Council and immediately afterwards, co-responsibility. It's not the bishop has the responsibility or the priest has the responsibility. Everybody has responsibility in different ways. And so it's, I don't know if you can say, a responsibilizing people or waking people up to their responsibility. Right. And this was one of the things that also is part of that canon law question we were talking about earlier. A lot of canon law gives all the authority to the bishop. And this is, it raises the question of does canon law need to be amended to 
allow for a more synodal, co-responsible sharing of the bishop's duties or the duties that so far have been thought of as being in just the domain of the bishop. Yes, and are there other ministries that can be established in the church? Now, nobody wants to have a clerical church where you've got just positions. Everybody in a ministry, yeah. You know, that they, they've got now power and status and such like. That, that's not the concept. And so this is really re-looking at, it says, one of the questions that's under the question of co-responsibility in mission is how can the church of our time better fulfill its mission through greater recognition and promotion of the baptismal dignity of women? Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important. This whole document says the basis of our activity, our participation, our call to mission in the church is that we've been baptized. Yeah, and we should note that this document devotes an entire section to promoting the baptismal dignity of women, which is something that it says emerged unanimously across the continental reports. So this is something that around the world Catholics have been talking about in these synodal sessions. They really want to see women's dignity, women's role in the church be recognized and be enhanced, the document says. And then it specifically asks for discernment on the women's diaconate, which is uh, just a, a key issue that's that's going to get a lot of attention. And that goes right into then the question of participation, which sort of takes up this question of mission practically. How can we live our mission to evangelize within the church's structures? Because there's been some talk about the synod, you know, maybe not being sufficiently outward facing, facing the people who need to be evangelized. But I think it's emerged in the process so far that we need to take an internal look at our structures to make sure that we can then carry out that mission more effectively. So in the participation section, what stood out to you? So the, the third uh, area is participation. And, and they put the words governance and authority together with it. What processes what structures, institutions are required in a missionary synodal, let's call it a different kind of church. I think when people hear synodal, they kind of turn off. But what we're talking about is a different kind of church which involves people, which gets people feeling that they're part of a movement. And so the question of governance and authority is very important. Francis has already addressed some of this in the reform of the Roman Curia, when he separated the question of orders from the question of governance. So now you can have, theoretically, women as head of Vatican departments. Whereas years ago, this was inconceivable. And so the question goes back to Dices, you know, the exercise of responsibility and authority in a given diocese. And there are many dioceses where now women are chancellors in the diocese. Women are heads of schools, heads of universities. Maybe they can be head of other things in the, in the diocese, in the church. And so this is opening up new horizons. And I think this is the great gift of this synod, that in a way it's picking up where the Second Vatican Council finished. And you, keep, you see the document keeping referring back to the Second Vatican Council. Pope Francis says, we're now 60 years on from the Council, but it takes about 100 years to implement it. Now there's a revisiting 
a conscious revisiting and saying, have we picked up all that the council has made possible? Right, Jerry. That was really my impression reading this document, too, was as I was reading it, I we talked about how this is so much unlike any other synod that we've seen so far, certainly different from synods that you and I have covered together. And as I was reading it, I was really surprised by just how open and candid, open to to big hot topic questions that this document was, um, that that there are no taboo subjects, like you've said. And and the possibilities that it raises, the openness to possibly changing canon law if need be, or re-evaluating, re- restructuring the way that bishops work to make that more synodal, to make it more cooperative, co-responsible with, with lay people. All of this was just really like getting me very excited about, you know, that this feels like a big moment in the church. And it made me imagine that that's probably how the Second Vatican Council and, and the years after that felt, you know, might be making people nervous with how much change there could be. But also, uh, but also it's it's just thrilling. I, I know that's maybe nerdy to say about a, a document that's so focused on like internal church structures, but I was I was really excited reading this. Yes, the, the first part is, is a little more difficult to read. Uh, everybody will agree with that, but I, I, I recommend that people go to the to the questions. Mm-hmm, definitely. Not just read the main five main questions, but look at the sub questions mm-hmm. and the discussion, and people will find so much there. All right, Jerry, I would encourage our listeners to maybe take some time this summer to read and reflect on these questions, even if you're not going to participate in the October meeting. You know, this is something that we're all being re- invited to reflect on as church, um, and and it's really worth it. So I will include a link to read the full document in the show notes. Jerry, we will see you next week for our very last episode of the season. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me through this very significant document. Yes, and next week we'll have the new bishops or archbishops from around the world coming into Rome. The Pope is meeting with his group of cardinal advisors. And then I think he will go on holiday for some of July. There's a lot to come. All right, cool. We will see you next week. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Cristobal Spielman. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also find me on Twitter at Colleen Dully, that's C O L L E E N D U L L E, and Jerry at Jerry O Rome, that's G E R R Y O R O M E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber and take advantage of our special $1 deal for the first month. Just click on the link in our show notes or visit americamagazine.org slash ITV. It's really easy to do, and it is the best way you can support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare after subscribing, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time.